This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hi, I'm Tim Hare, the CEO of Sarah Ventures, a venture capital firm with uh, locations in multiple cities here in the U.S. Grateful to be on Dr. Karen's show today, and we're going to talk about the intentional discovery and development of personal purpose in the workplace and a bit about risk-taking and why it might not be so bad to be taking risks in our life. My guest today is someone who knows what it takes for a business to succeed. He has used his knowledge and expertise to successfully build and sell a number of entrepreneurial businesses, as well as to advise and financially resource the businesses of many others. My guest today is Timothy C. Herr. Tim is the CEO and founder of Sarah Ventures, LLC, a venture capital firm that provides coaching, management guidance, and funding to emerging stage companies in selected high-technology sectors throughout the United States and internationally. With offices in Champaign, Chicago, Park City, and San Diego, Sarah has provided consulting to over 500 technology startups and has provided funding to over 90 of them. They currently manage $140 million in early-stage company investments with the support of over 250 limited partner investors. In 1983, Tim graduated summa cum laude from Illinois State University with a degree in accounting and business information systems. He received the Bone Scholar Award, the highest undergraduate award of Illinois State and went on to win national awards on the Certified Public Accounting Exam and Certified Management Accounting Exam. Tim was formerly a partner in the international accounting and consulting firm RSM in Illinois and San Diego. He spent nearly 15 years with the firm. In the 2000s, Tim served as president of SourceGear, a software firm, and then as co-founder and Chief Executive Officer of iSight, a bioscience instrument firm which won numerous technology and business awards, including Best Places to Work in Illinois. The company was acquired by Sony Corporation in 2009. Tim won the Entrepreneurial Excellence and Management Award at the Innovation Celebration in 2009. He served as the CEO of Emuven for two years while he was launching Sarah Ventures. Imivin developed a targeted T-cell receptor therapeutic for various disease indications, and it was acquired by a major pharma company in 2014. A consummate entrepreneur, Tim has enjoyed many previous ventures to include owning, along with two partners, Game Day Spirit, the official fan store of the Fighting Alini, University of Illinois, he also was owning along with eight co-investors and directing a Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches franchise located in Central Texas. Also owned along with a co-founder, Collegiate Marketing Incorporated, and also was the executive producer for the film Beyond the Mask. Tim is the author of the book, Risking It, an intersection of faith and work as well as another book, Thank God It's Monday, a toolkit for aligning your life, vision, and your work. Tim and his wife of 37 years, Tony, reside in Champaign and have three adult daughters, three sons-in-law, and six grandchildren. Tim also serves on a number of nonprofit and corporate boards. So as you can see, my guest today has lots of experience and Tim, I want to welcome you to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Karen. It's uh, really a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, dang, that that bio sounded a bit long and drawn out. But uh, so th thank you so much for your comments and, and for having me here today. Well, thank you for being here. I just want that my audience to know that you are a person not only who knows what you're talking about from book learning, you've actually been through the School of Hard Knocks life experience to come to us today with what you'll be sharing. And Tim, as you already know, I was so excited when a mutual contact introduced the two of us because I've worked with a lot of venture capitalists over the years, done a lot of work in the VC world, and you are the first venture capitalist that I've ever met who was a man of faith. And so I was very intrigued by that. And I said, oh, I've got to have you on the show and we've got to hear a little bit about your journey. So I just want the audience to know that's part of the reason why I really wanted you to be with me today, Tim. Yeah, well, it, it is a bit of a rarity to uh, to find venture capitalists that uh, come from a faith-based background. There's a few of us out here, and uh, certainly this is an industry that that needs a faith-based uh, perspective. So we're we're super grateful and and we're humbled to to be able to bring a kingdom perspective to the venture industry. Thank you so much for doing that, and I want to just start really, Tim, by asking you because. You and I know what venture capitalists are and what they do. Many people may not know what is a venture capitalist, what do VCs do? So tell us a little bit about that first. Sure. It, it's, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, venture capitalists uh, kind of can boil, uh, you can boil it down into about four to five different activities. Uh, one of the things that we do is we uh, take money from a variety of investors, and that can be individual investors, it can be institutional like pension funds, um, endowments, and we pool that money. So that's sort of the first thing that we do is, is aggregate a pool of capital, and that's called a venture capital fund. And then we go look for investment opportunities. And in our case, we typically look for early stage high technology companies, but other funds, you know, look for other types of companies. So we scan the universe of startup companies and we find those that would be a good investment, those that meet some very specific criteria. So that's sort of the second thing that we do. Once we've made an investment, and, and a typical fund will make uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 or 30 investments, it varies, uh, you know, from firm to firm. Our, our funds typically are somewhere in the mid-20s to 30 companies in total that we're investing in out of one fund. And then after we've invested, uh, probably one of the most important things happens, we become the coach uh, to come alongside of those entrepreneurs uh, and, and those teams to help them advance their company to the next level. So we're all kind of working together to help that company grow and succeed. And then the last thing we do is seek exit events or sale events. Uh, so our funds extend over a 10-year period of time. And in that time, we attempt to get into each company via an investment and then to exit it via a sale of that company to, say, another large entity. Uh, the company might go public. Uh, they might have a management or an ESOP buyout. Uh, any of those types of things would be called an exit event. So that's what venture capitalists do. It's really, uh, it's, it's fairly, you know, simple on one hand, <laughs> although it, you know, it sort of takes a, a number of years to kind of figure out how to do it well. Yeah, it certainly takes some expertise along the way to do it, in fact, too. And what I'm hearing as you describe what venture capitalists do, we're really talking about investing in businesses really at the heart of the American way. It's at the heart of kind of like a capitalist system of, of operation. And what I think is particularly important about what you said is that the investment is not just money. It's also investment of knowledge, investment of business acumen and expertise so that those businesses can be successful. And then when they're sold or they in some other way have an exit, that the investors actually have an opportunity to also get paid on that end as well. That's right. In this business, we think the most important thing uh, to do is to come alongside and invest our expertise, our experience to help those teams through the inevitable 
uh, difficult times that they're going to encounter. They're, they're going to come up against uh, competitors. There, there might be a new technology that's introduced uh, that's uh, uh, somewhat uh, in the same space as theirs. They're going to have people problems, right? Businesses have people problems. So we're going to bring our expertise, our, our entire team of, of managing partners, there are four of us, have each run companies. And that's uh, an important part of what we bring to the table, you know, in addition to the capital is bring that expertise and, and of course, empathy, right? I mean, I have great empathy for what our entrepreneurs are going through. And yeah, hopefully at the end, our investors win by seeing an increase in their investment across all these different companies. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really an exciting field uh, to be in. So your journey to becoming a VC, I would say, is, is well, it's not a straight line function. There were twists and turns along the way. So how did you get here? How did you get into this field? Yeah, I don't think I, I planned it per se. Uh, I, I had the 15 years in public accounting and saw numerous clients. I was uh, always excited to see, you know, what was going on in the in the variety of companies that I worked with. I, I had construction clients, manufacturing clients, restaurant clients. Uh, was always really intrigued by uh, the opportunity that uh, entrepreneurs have to solve problems in the marketplace and to succeed, to create jobs that always fascinated me. Um, after public accounting, as you shared in the bio, I, I had an opportunity to run a couple of tech companies and that was, you know, duking it out in the trenches and, and slogging through a lot of problem solving, but it was really an, an awesome experience to take a company from uh, start to finish uh, successfully. And that's when I began to get the notion that, uh, you know, this might be something I would enjoy doing uh, with, uh, with other uh, uh, companies. And, and venture capital was, was sort of a, a natural uh, way to, to think about that. And, you know, ultimately, when I was done running my last tech company, the opportunity to start Sarah Ventures uh, uh, occurred. And that's, kind of how it happened. Again, it wasn't by design per se, but uh, really through the collection of experiences I'd had leading up to that. I always think that's exciting too, when we think about our lives, that there is a collection of experiences that ultimately will lead us to the places where we end up going and the different doors that open up. And of course, your journey is very similar in that way. So let me ask you, Tim, about this. As we head into life and do what we're doing, and certainly it's true for you too, there's often a wilderness experience along the way to the promised land, if you will. So when you think about your journey, what was maybe a wilderness experience that you went through as you're trying to figure out what's next or where God is leading you? Maybe when it seemed like things weren't going so great and you had to figure that out. Well, I, I knew you were going to ask me something like that. Uh, it's never easy to talk about failure. Uh, and I've, I've had my share of failure in wilderness. Let, let me just share one experience in particular. Um, uh, you, you talked a little bit about uh, the book, one of the books I wrote, uh, Thank God It's Monday. I wrote that while I was still a partner with the public accounting firm RSM. I was located in San Diego really felt like uh, God started to speak to me during the writing of that book that maybe it was time to take the leap of faith, so to speak, to start my own consulting firm. And I did that. I, I started a, an entity called Life Vision in 1998. I left the comfort uh, zone of a big public accounting firm and really felt like I, I was prepared from a uh, experiences standpoint, from a passion standpoint, from so many different angles. It really seemed like this was what uh, I was supposed to do. And I would describe the next two years as sort of a major face plant, uh, as in I couldn't succeed at anything uh, for about a two-year period of time uh, doing, doing my own thing as life vision. So, you know, what had worked so well for me for many, many years in, in you know, in schooling and then in public accounting uh, just didn't seem to work anymore. And uh, that was a really, really difficult time. I felt sort of like everything 
kind of got stripped away from a professional affirmation standpoint. Pretty much all I had left uh, was my family and my faith. Uh, it seemed like pretty much everything else had vanished in that two-year period of time. When you say vanished, you're also talking about even the financial security as well. That wasn't so great during that time. Well, yeah, talk about investments gone awry. I'd, I'd actually taken uh, $25,000 each from uh, my brother, my brother-in-law, and my father, and uh, and then uh, an associate and I each put in uh, the same amount of money. So it was a you know relatively modest amount of money, but it was significant for each of these people. All of that was lost, uh, which makes Thanksgiving dinner somewhat uncomfortable. In, in addition to that, you know, my my personal resources depleted pretty much all, almost to nothing uh, because you know I wasn't really pulling a, a salary, so to speak, during that two year period of time. So, in addition to the investment dollars, the personal bank account was uh, dwindling rapidly. Now we both know you are extremely successful now have gone way past those days. So as you reflect and you look back on that experience, what's your understanding about why God allowed this period in your life? That is a really good question. I I think I'm still gaining understanding about that so many years later, um, almost, you know, uh, 25 uh, some odd years later. You know, part of it was to ultimately do what I do today, to be really effective at helping entrepreneurs navigate highs and lows. And, and in entrepreneurship, there are many lows and there are many lonely moments uh, to, to really have the right perspective, the right empathy. If I, you know, if I'd had nothing but success in my life, I wouldn't have the goods to deliver to each of the entrepreneurial teams that I deal with uh, today. I think that was part of it. I think part of it too was just, you know, God needed to humble me in a a lot of regards. I'd I'd had a lot of success in life in school and I'd I'd risen to uh, success in the accounting firm pretty rapidly. And, you know, I think God's always concerned more about our character than our accomplishments. And so there was, there were some deep things in me that he needed to accomplish from a character building perspective, you know, that make me who I am today. And I think those are the main reasons I'm, I'm still occasionally asking him for a little more light uh, because it, you know, it, <laughs> it really was super painful. And um, yeah. You know, you really can't underestimate that empathy part that you talked about. I see it as kind of like a a Jesus approach. And what I mean by that, Jesus came here in humility to be in human form and not just come as an adult, having to come as a baby, go through birth and all of this to empathize with us so that we would be able to see that he understands the journey that we're on as well, the pitfalls, the difficulties, the challenges. And when you think about the entrepreneurial journey, as you were saying, it's up and down. So if you had only experienced the ups, how could you really empathize you know, with the entrepreneurs who are in the down space? And how would you be able to see that it's even possible for them to get past some of those bumps. And therefore, this might still be a good investment, even if it looks a little upside down at the moment. So I do think that that empathy part is huge. And then the other part, the character building, God's always about that in all of our lives, you know, the character building aspect. And when I think of it, I think that if we have so much success ourselves and on our own, we might have to ask the question, where's the room you know, for God to do even greater things in us. And so I see that as part of what you're sharing as well. Yeah, I think uh, that that's exactly right. I, I think, you know, God is, is, you know, he's interested in building our faith and, and uh, you know, what, what better way to do that than to take us through, you know, moments of, of failure and, and disappointment to, to build our faith. Do we still believe uh, in him? Do we still believe in the purpose to which he's called us? Do we still get up the next day and, you know, move forward as opposed to giving up? Those are 
things where, you know, he's, he's actively building our faith and, and our commitment uh, to him through that, that process. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Tim, you know that I strongly believe that Christian marketplace leaders are actually ministry leaders. And I think that to work in business is really a spiritual calling. So I would like to ask you to share with us something about your spiritual calling to this role. How did you get here from a spiritual point of view? How did God call you? I have felt the call of God in some sense from a very, very young age, maybe five or six years old. Uh, I grew up in a, in a faith-based family. My father was an entrepreneur, but he was also a lay minister. Uh, I ended up having a couple of siblings go into the, you know, the, tr- the traditional uh, definition of, of ministry as pastors and missionaries. Um, so when I, you know, started my career in public accounting, I had made sort of an assumption that how this sense of calling would ultimately be fulfilled for me would be to one day go into ministry, as in the, def, you know, the traditional definition of ministry. But in uh, 1989, I was about six years into my uh, accounting career. I was headed off to a small group leader retreat. And about two days before that retreat, I had really quite a compelling dream. Uh, that, that dream consisted of being in the St. Louis airport, which was uh, an airport I flew through pretty frequently coming out of Champaign, Illinois. I was in the D concourse, the TWA concourse back in the days of TWA. And I distinctly remember feeling uh, that I needed to get to St. Louis, even though I was in St. Louis. And uh, the dream ended with me being in the line for Cincinnati, which seemed bizarre. Anyway, I, I, uh, short story, you know, uh, the short version of the story I shared with my sister, uh, uh, one of the pastors at our church, at this small group reader, uh, small group leader retreat, uh, and in the next couple of days that I'd had this dream, didn't really give her any other context, but you know, unbeknownst to her, I I sort of had 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 this sense of you know this could be potentially my call you know into ministry. Now it seems seems like a natural inflection point is about to occur. Well, she prayed through that, came back the next uh, morning. I think it was a Saturday morning, and and had received you know in essence an interpretation uh, from the spirit uh, in regard to this dream. And and the bottom line was I was. At a major point of inflection, she said, even though she had not known that, and uh, that I was attempting to get to a saintly place, St. Louis, but I was already in the saintly place, the place where God had me, and that to do anything different would be a sin, Cincinnati, which sounds a little corny, but uh, when she shared this, I felt like a power wave come off of her and over me. It, it like literally knocked me back physically. And I just instantly knew that I was called to the marketplace, that this anointing of you know ministry was where I already was. And uh, you know, it really was a, a powerful, powerful event. Uh, to catalyze the continuation of of then my ministry over the that was 1989. So you know now now that's been a you know a, an over a 30 year journey of working out you know, what does what does it mean to be a minister in the marketplace. But uh, that's how I got here. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for sharing that story. And to me, that's a very inspiring example. A lot of times people believe that the ministry is only in the pulpit, so to speak, or on the mission field. And in reality, God has his people everywhere, in the workplace, the marketplace, and we're in ministry too. And there are lives in those places that he wants us to touch and wants us to make a difference with. So I wanted to say, first of all, thank you for answering the call to Marketplace (laughs) Ministry. And I'm also glad that your sister was connected enough with God that she was able to hear the meaning of the message and then to share it with you as well. So Tim, I want to follow up from that and ask about this. You know, I believe that when Christians use spiritual principles and practices at work, that Everyone really in the business benefits, not just the Christian. So how have you used 
spiritual principles in the workplace and what's been your outcome and experience? This is an area that is is you know sort of front and center for me. Uh, I, I very much subscribe to the notion that faith, work, life can be integrated with one another and and really it is about uh, each day uh, implementing uh, you know an active walk with the spirit and and, and uh, tapping you know into the you know biblical truth and spiritual truth, uh, you know just some examples. I feel compelled as a venture capitalist to be gracious, extend grace, which is not a normal function for a venture capitalist. Venture capitalists are to be stoic and to be, you know, looking out for their own interest and the interest of their investors. Uh, a lot of times venture capitalists are very uh, crude and rude to the companies that are pitching them. Uh, I feel called to be gracious. Uh, I feel called to be present, to listen. Uh, to learn, uh, to, uh, to, again, reflect and be quiet <laughs> as opposed to talk. Uh, so those are some spiritual principles to, to have, you know, and again, to have integrity uh, from all roles that I play, whether that's a husband, a father, uh, a, a grandfather, a coworker, a, you know, an entrepreneurial coach, though, those shouldn't be compartmentalized from one another. They ought to flow uh, naturally I ought to be the same person in the one role as I am in in the other. Another maybe final one uh, and there, there are many is just to ask the Holy Spirit what are you doing in this moment in this uh, particular day? Uh, how do I cooperate with that? And the more I find that I ask that question, I find that uh, he'll answer it and and point me. Uh, either subtly or sometimes not so subtly to to do something, to to say something, to take a particular action. So those are just a few examples. I think that's really powerful. And in the being gracious and listening and so on, you are looking at short-term and long-term benefits. You're also looking at a win-win. It's not just short term for the investors, what's a win for that entrepreneur? What's a win for the VC company? I mean, it's, there's so many different places where there could be a win and not all venture capitalists think in that way. So I think that's pretty powerful. I know I shared with you before that I've worked with many venture capitalists. And one of the ways in which I did that, I was working with the Kauffman Foundation, the Ewing Marion Kauffman Foundation out of Kansas City, and through their Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership. And they were raising up a whole new generation of venture capitalists that had a social entrepreneurism mindset, and particularly those who would invest in companies that traditionally might have a difficult time finding investors, women-owned companies, minority-owned companies, and sometimes maybe some businesses that just didn't have the track record yet. And at the same time, they were good investments. So to hear you say, yeah, I'm going to seek God and ask him, what is he doing in this moment? Because he might lead you in a way that doesn't go with conventional wisdom. Well, that's right. Uh, and and with early stage companies, there's really only so much uh, tangible evidence of of what might be success, right? I mean, there there are only so many things that we can evaluate, and and really, ultimately, we do need to rely on the Holy Spirit telling us this is a person or this is a team that you can invest in, that you can bet on, so to speak. So it really does ultimately come back to the people involved. And uh, yeah, often, you know, the, the, uh, God's directing us to invest in a particular team that maybe doesn't have uh, X or Y or Z that's tangible or obvious, but uh, there are other factors involved that uh, will very likely make this company successful. So uh, that's, you know, sort of, sort of front and center for me is, again, hearing that voice, hearing that direction, and and then making uh, you know the decision on that basis. Yeah, so often the decision about whether to invest or not is a lot about the people. It's a lot about leadership. It's a lot about those aspects that I care about. You know, excellent leadership in organizations and companies, and being able to ascertain and determine what are those leaders made out of who are 
sitting in front of you and thinking about the investment, how likely are they to follow through? Are they going to fall apart at the earliest sign of trouble or just what's going to happen? I'm glad you said something along those lines, because if, if I survey the companies that have not been successful, you know, the ones that, that we have invested in, and certainly we, we do have companies that, you know, ultimately don't uh, achieve what they were set out to be, I, I would say almost universally, there is some type of a people issue, a leadership issue involved, not, not in every case, but in almost every case. And so, you know, you look at all the different factors that, you know, that might impact a company's success or failure, and yet you can boil it down in, in our experience to people issues, integrity issues, leadership issues. That's really where the rubber meets the road. And that then, you know, it just reinforces the notion that we need to be investing in the right teams, the right uh, people that, that are subscribing to uh, again, they may not be believers per se, or they might, they might be, but that they are attempting to embrace uh, leadership principles and the right way of, of doing life and work. Absolutely. Now, of course, we know that you've got supernatural assistance in terms of, you know, the relationship with God and the wisdom that God has that's beyond earthly wisdom in terms of making some of those decisions. Share with us some of the hard decisions you have had to make as a leader of a VC firm. They're almost uh, uh, daily, well, at least weekly. Uh, I'll just give you one example, and I think this kind of illustrates, you know, the notion of balancing uh, the, the needs of companies and investors and so forth. So we recently had uh, a company that was, uh, there's an instrument called a SAFE, which is a simple agreement for future equity, and the, the SAFE can ultimately convert into equity in the company and the maturity date had come and it was time to potentially convert this uh, instrument and there there was a sort of a penalty value because the company had not been able to raise money beyond these safes and so the entrepreneur came to me excuse me and to the other investors and asked if we would potentially add some time to allow uh, them to uh, raise more money and to not see those safes converted at the penalty value. And, you know, strict, strictly speaking for our investors, I should have converted at that penalty value because you want to come in at the lowest possible price as an investor, right? You buy low, you sell high. But as I began to think through and balance that with the aspect of serving our companies and the impact that that decision may have on that on the morale and on my relationship with this entrepreneur i decided i needed to grant his request even though technically uh, it was probably not quote unquote the right thing to do you know from strictly a number standpoint but i firmly believe it was the right decision on behalf of all the parties involved right so Here's a you know a case of having to balance something uh, you know in a very nuanced way to hopefully benefit all parties, um, and yet that's you know that answer to that isn't always obvious. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a very difficult decision. How did your investors handle it? How did they respond back when they got wind of your decision? Yeah, I, a couple of them I did have to have conversations with, and I just explained the rationale. I said, you know, in in these types of cases, that it isn't always necessarily just by the numbers. There are these human factors in play. These companies are run by humans. Uh, this is a company that had worked long and hard to raise more money. They the the, the footnote to this is they ultimately did go on to raise around here. Just they closed it about a month ago. And uh, this earlier conversation kind of happened back in September, right? So it did work out. You know, the company was able to do what it needed to do. You know, it was a very, very small uh, difference. Ultimately, the the you know the actual number that it would have been in September versus the number that happened in uh, November, you know, was yes, it was slightly, <laughs> slight. It would have been slightly better to you know to do the deal in September. But the reality is, I think we all you know won out of the situation, and I was able to explain that perspective that 
you know, these are the types of, of thing. These are judgment calls. This is what you pay us for as the, as the venture capitalist to make some of these not obvious decisions that hopefully are win, win, win uh, for, you know, win for our firm, a win for the investors, a win for that portfolio company and its team. That's a great example. I love that example. You can't always just think about it under one-sided aspect. You've got to think about the whole picture. And those are tough calls. Those are very tough decisions. It requires those conversations too on the back end to help other people understand why you made that choice and how it's better in the long run, you know, to make that kind of a decision. So I know, Tim, that you also have a perspective on risk taking. What's involved in risk-taking from your perspective, and why do you believe that people should take more risk? I love the topic of risk uh, and risk-taking, and uh, you know the, the spirit has led me over time to increase my risk-taking. Uh, you know, a move you know to the state of California in 1995, uh, leaving the big firm to start that that ill-fated life vision. Uh, the decision to move back. Those are all decisions that have a, a fair degree of risk involved. I, I think, you know, ultimately risking is about that question that I, I referred to earlier, and it's asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? And often the answer to that question is, Tim, get outside your comfort zone and do X. Well, that turns out to be a risk. Uh, to do that. If I'm going to do something that's outside my comfort zone or do something that the direction of the spirit, uh, outside my normal, quote unquote, that is going to be a risk. And so uh, what about that? Well, in in the process of taking that risk, my faith muscle grows. Uh, right, I, my dependency on God grows uh, because I'm I'm now out of my zone that that I'm familiar with or comfortable with. So it's it's a place where God can use me and build character and grow my faith. Uh, and uh, a lot of risk taking has to do with building our faith. Those two are are very, actually very closely uh, linked. You know, so it's why I encourage people. You know, be on the lookout for the Holy Spirit telling you to do acts that might be outside your comfort zone and and take a risk. It's really easy to do something that I know how to do and that I have the resources for. But when you're trusting God for something so much bigger than what you know how to do, that is indeed a risk. It is a faith walk. It is certainly a step out there. And you've demonstrated that even with the losses that you experienced and so on, that wasn't the end of the story. That was just a little chapter along the way that God used to bring you to even greater success later. And so I think for a lot of people, getting out of the comfort zone is hard because they say, well, what if I end up in the wilderness, (laughs) you know, and have to go through that. And, And for a lot of people, the notion is I'll end up in the wilderness and that's the end. There's no way out of the wilderness. So how might you advise people as they're faced with these risks, given your experiences and what you already know, how do they get past those natural tendencies to resist the risk-taking? To believe ultimately that, you know, God God doesn't guarantee the outcome uh, of the risk-taking. And yes, the risk may lead us through a wilderness experience, but we need to come to the knowledge of number one, God is for me. He is intimately acquainted with what I am going through, uh, be that a wilderness or a challenge or a disappointment or a failure. Um, and it is a process and he will faithfully be with us. He will be present with us in the process. So the, the, you know, the outcome or the, you know, the actual thing that might take place in the risk taking that isn't, that isn't known to us. And yeah, it might be good. It might be bad, you know, at least temporarily speaking, but I can have confidence that uh, God is with me. He is intimately acquainted. He is for me and he is good. Uh, so uh, in, in that context, okay, now I can, in, I can embrace more risk. And for some of us, it might be smaller risks to start. And that's okay. It's not necessarily a cross-country move or a job change. Uh, ultimately, those might might 
uh, be presented to you as opportunities. But I do think he wants us each to be increasing our risk taking. And I think he meets us where we are uh, in, in, in that regard. So what I'm hearing there is start where you are, even if it's small. And I think about mustard seed faith as you're talking about that. And, you know, the mustard seed is mm-hmm. like so tiny, you have to put it in a little magnifier to <laughs> even see it. And I'm also hearing sort of the building blocks of Romans 8.28, you know, which talks about how that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. doesn't mean everything is good. However, God will take all of that and work it for our good, just as he worked Joseph's imprisonment, Joseph's enslavement for the good of both Joseph and his family. And so a lot of what I hear you saying in this is, Start small, be willing to take those steps and watch God work. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of what I hear you saying. Absolutely. And, you know, understanding that God is rarely in a hurry, uh, you know, with regard to what's happening in our lives. I mean, we might be in a hurry, right? We, I'm, I'm typically in a hurry. <laughs> I, I, you know, God gives me a vision or a notion of, of uh, where I might be able to get to, and I want to see it in the next uh, 30 days. Uh, he might be interested in seeing it over the next 30 years. Uh, now, that's an extreme example, but uh, he's rarely in a hurry, uh, you know, with regard to kind of what he's doing in our lives. But I can take comfort again in the fact that he's with me in the middle of that, working it for good. Amen. And I don't think 30 years is really outside of God's way of operating. He tends to work in 30s and 40s and numbers that we think are excessive. So I think you actually give a good example when you say it could take 30 years. So Tim, I know that you've written those two books, you know, Risking It, an Intersection of Faith and Work, and then also Thank God It's Monday, a toolkit for aligning your life vision and your work. Tell us about each of the books. What will readers get as they read the books and how they can get them? Thank God It's Monday was the the book that I wrote in 1998, 1999. So it's uh, a number of years in the rearview mirror, so to speak, but it's still a very, very timely topic. It's it's actually a collection of tools and principles for intentional discovery of one's personal purpose, uh, which frankly is a journey that I've been on for, you know, many, many years, probably going all the way back, you know, to when I was five or six years old. I don't think I've ever completely arrived. And that's okay, because, you know, the development and and the pursuit of purpose really is a lifelong uh, thing that the, God takes us through. Uh, but that's what that's what Thank God It's Monday is about, is it, you are going to spend the largest share of your waking hours in some type of a work pursuit. Uh, why not be intentional then about aligning one's work with one's purpose? And and how do you take, again, intentional, purposeful steps toward uh, that discovery and that uh, uh, the development, you know, of a of a you know concrete sense of purpose? So that's that's what Thank God It's Monday is about. It, is still, it still is available on Amazon, even though it's uh, you know a 20, 20 some odd year old title. Um, and there are some really cool exercises at the end of each chapter, so it's super practical. Risking It, an Intersection of Faith and Work, is a book that I wrote more recently. It was uh, 2014-15, and it's it's really more of a memoir of my own risk-taking experiences, hopefully shared in a way that can be encouraging to others, that can hopefully see themselves in similar circumstances and how just on a very practical way, uh, God led me and my family to take uh, various risks and what happened, you know, yes, it worked in this case, it didn't work in this case, and then sort of painting the tapestry of, you know, how God uses those, uh, all those collection of experiences over time. That book's also available on, on Amazon. So that's, that's kind of the best way to to get uh, either of those two books. You know, I really love the fact that in both books, you're talking about life experience, first of all, your own experience, so it's road tested. You're also talking about what's practical, not that it just worked for you, but these are some tools, some exercises, uh, some reflection points that other people can use to also augment their own journey in terms of where they're going. I really like that. And the intentional aspect sort of reminds me, some work that I'm doing right now is all about creating powerful leadership legacy. And that's working with executives to think about how 
they can be intentional about the legacy they want to leave inside their organization, leaving the organization better, leaving the people better, and also what's next for them. So I think your books kind of like fall along a similar line of thinking that we would like to come alongside people who are interested in being intentional about aligning their purpose with what they're doing in the workplace. So Tim, tell people how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, the best way is probably via email. And uh, it's super simple. It's Tim at sarahventures.com. And Sarah is spelled S-E-R-R-A. So Tim at sarahventures.com uh, is probably the best way uh, to, to get a hold of me. Excellent. And we'll make sure that information is also in the show notes so people can find you. So as we're winding down things now, winding up, whatever way you want to call it, Tim, what additional words of wisdom do you have and that you want to leave for my audience of executive business leaders? I think I'd wrap up to say, Dr. Karen, that, you know, the whole of scripture, the law and the prophets can be summed up in one uh, command, that is to love God and love others. And it really is all about relationships and and loving others. And uh, that's ultimately what life and business is about. It's it's about continuing to sow, sow, sow into those relationships over time. Uh, and we will reap really an awesome harvest. Uh, it might not be immediate. It might be five years. It might be 10. It might be 30 years before we see some of the bountiful harvest. I think really on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, it probably won't actually be that long. But continue to sell, continue to love, continue to build bridges, and uh, you'll see some awesome abundance and fruitfulness. I love that. You know, it's all about love and loving people. And we often forget that you can love people at work. In fact, God calls us to love people at work. And in our current world, there's a lot of pain at work sometimes and a lot of suffering at work. And people are not feeling so loved in the workplace and often not elsewhere. So I think that the work that you're doing, Tim, is really important and it's really significant. So I want to thank you for being here with me today as we were unpacking some of these lessons that you've learned along the way on your journey. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to share a few thoughts. And uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, Dr. Karen, to help develop leaders um, in such perilous times. As, as you say, these are, these are trying times in the workplace. So, at, you know, uh, ne- never a more appropriate time to be uh, seeking the guidance of, of the Spirit and embracing our faith uh, to, to build workplaces that really do honor, uh, honor God. Thank you again. Thanks so much. So what I want to do is just share maybe a couple of thoughts that the audience can think about in terms of what I heard you say today, Tim, and this is not comprehensive. These are just a couple of nuggets. Number one is this, that God is always in many ways going to start with us. He's going to develop our character. He's going to send us through experiences and journeys that cause us to have to trust him more, to build our faith, and to develop humility. When I think about the character of Christ, Christ was a person of humility, and God is always conforming us also into the likeness of Christ. So that's one of the principles that I heard you mention today. You also made it real clear that no matter what happens, to really remember that God is actually for you. He is for you. And there is a purpose that he has for your life in the workplace. And what I'm hearing you say is that 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 purpose goes beyond just yourself. You're looking out there to see how multiple people can benefit in the win win, win, and looking at the long-term along the way. It's all about people, developing people, understanding people, resourcing organizations with the right people, and building character, even in those entrepreneurial business leaders as well, helping them to recognize that they can be successful 
in business, even as ethical business people. So I want to thank you for sharing some version of those nuggets with us today and also for talking about the importance of empathy, being able to empathize with those we are working with. And very often it's because we've been on a similar journey ourselves. And that's certainly been your story, Tim. So thanks again for sharing that with the audience. And so I'd like to leave today with a word of wisdom that comes from 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter. And Paul is dealing with the church at Macedonia, and they are giving resources to the Corinthians. And I want you to just hear the heart of the people and what Paul says about them. So he says, starting with verse one, he says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So here we have a church that's struggling a little bit, and yet they're still being liberal. So he goes on to say in verse three, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So God calls us to give a lot in our lives and in the workplace. And the first gift that we give is ourselves first to God, and then he allows us to pour out to other people around us in a liberal manner beyond what our own resources are, because he will resource us with everything that we need to be generous. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.